God, it's just good to be here with your church, uh, to be home. Lord, just reflecting on the text that we're about to read and think about this morning, just it makes me long for your kingdom. And when we gather together as the church, we get tastes of that kingdom. So I'm just thankful. God, I pray as we open this text, as we read it, try to understand it, that your spirit would help us to see everything that you want us to see this morning. And and God, especially this, I pray that we would all walk out of here just resolved, encouraged, that Jesus, you are truly our king and that you have that place in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 11. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Isaiah 11 or use your phone app um, or however else you want to read the scripture. We'll have the scriptures on the screen uh, behind me, uh, but we'll be jumping around our passage a little bit. So I just encourage you to have it with you so that... um, You don't have to rely on the screen uh, as much as we look at the text and jump around uh, a little bit uh, together. You know, I'll never forget uh, this one time in high school. Uh, So I was was a senior in high school, um, and I was one of the captains of the football team, and I was sitting in English class, all right? So this is Mr. Clausen's English class. And uh, all of a sudden, there was a little knock on the door. And uh, my football coach um, was at the door. And he kind of cracked it open. And my football coach, um, if you kind of think of a stereotypical football coach, that was him. He was huge, tall, about the deepest voice you could get. His face was gruff. He was mean. All right? That was my football coach. And he, uh, he goes, uh, uh, Mr. Clausen, I'm going to need to pull Alan out of class today. And Mr. Clausen, clearly annoyed, rolls his eyes and goes, for What? And he goes, ah, it's important. Don't worry. I'm just going to need him to come. And uh, Mr. Clausen, kind of hopelessly, knowing he he couldn't do a thing about this, um, fine, let let me go. And I had to smile on my face, grab my backpack, kind of strutted out of class. And this would happen from time to time. I'd get pulled out of class by my coach. Sometimes we'd go watch some film uh, or talk about the game on Friday, different things like that. So we're walking down the hallway. And, you know, coach, what's up? What's going on? Did you want to talk about the game Friday? And he's like, oh, no, 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 I got something else we got to do. Uh, okay. So we walk, we walk outside the school, and outside the school is my coach's pickup truck with a few other players sitting in the back of it. And he goes, hop in. So I was like, okay. So I hopped into the bed of his truck, and uh, we drove off. And we went to his house, and uh, sitting in the driveway of his house was a brand new hot tub that he had delivered that morning. And he's like, all right, guys, I got to move this to the deck. So we all surround the hot tub, you know, lift this thing. It was heavy. And we muscle this thing to his deck. He's like, all right, appreciate it. Get back in the truck. So we all got back in the truck. We drove back to high school and we went to class. Now, listen, my football coach, you have to understand something. He had power in my school. He was a very successful football coach. Actually, he's one of the most winningest football coaches in all of Virginia history. And actually, I got a text last night. He won a state championship last night. Um, They won it, so that was kind of cool to see that. But he brought a lot of notoriety to our school. 
Uh, he brought money to our school because we had a lot of fans come to our games. He brought college scouts to our school. Kids who played at my school, they go play for Alabama and Stanford and Virginia Tech and Penn State and things like that. Some of them have made them to the NFL. So he brought this kind of notoriety to the school and he kind of could do whatever he want. He had power. All right, Martin Luther King defines power as the ability to achieve purpose and affect change. So, so whether you have the power from an official capacity or not, if you can achieve purpose and affect change, then you have power. And he did at our school, so much so that he knew that if he needed to abuse that power a little bit in order to get some personal things done, then he could, and he did like getting a hot tub moved to his deck. Now, that's a funny story, and I'm not sure if my parents have heard that story. Have you? Okay, good. That's a funny story and all, but when we think about the world around us, it's demoralizing how rampant, how much we see in our world from people who have positions of power the abuse of power. Using the power that they have, whether that's in some official capacity or just because they have leverage over people, using the power that they have for their own personal reasons and not for the good and the flourishing of others. I know there are people in this church who have been victims of of bosses abusing their power and it really impacting them. Or spouses abusing their power, their leverage, whether it's financial leverage or other types of control over their spouses and abusing it for their own personal wants or desires. Maybe you're a victim of that. We see it in our politics. It's why this pandemic has been so hard for our nation to deal with because it's become so politicized and we see abusive power on every side of the issue. We don't know who to trust or what to believe. When you look at the scriptures, God hated the abuse of power, like hated it, right? Like so much so, uh, Moses, his man to lead the people of God out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land. God gave him power and influence over the people. He even gave him power to do miraculous things so that the people would follow him. And the moment Moses abused that and he hit that rock, God said, you will not lead my people into the promised land. He hates abuse of power. King David, right? Using his power as king to coerce a woman into his bed, impregnate her, then murder her husband, God severely punished David for the rest of his life for that. No, no, you will not abuse the power that I give you. Go to Ezekiel 34, and this is about the religious leaders of Israel, people that God entrusted to lead Israel in his ways, and they abused it. They used their position of power as religious leaders to feed and enrich themselves instead of leading God's people. And God severely pronounces judgment against the leaders of Israel for that. And he continues to do so for religious leaders and pastors today who routinely abuse their power. 
We see that in the church all the time now, pastors abusing their power to manipulate people, to abuse people, to accomplish whatever end they have. God hates that in the scriptures. We could go on and on and on, but it feels like a bit, right? When you look at every sector of our world that you see examples of humanity, people abusing their power for their own purposes and not for the good of others. And if you think about it, that makes sense theologically. If you go back to Genesis, right? Genesis 1 and 2, God creates humanity, and he says, I'm going to create you in my image, meaning I'm going to give you some qualities like I have, and I'm going to give you a purpose of reflecting my glory and character to the world, right? Image bearers of God. And then he says, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you dominion over the earth, power. I'm going to give you the ability to lead the rest of creation, and I want you to lead the rest of creation as an image bearer of God. All right, I'm going to delegate authority to you in order to make the creation flourish as you lead it under my authority. And so it makes sense because in Genesis 3, what happens? Mankind says, God, we don't want to live according to your ways. I don't want to bear your image. I want to live according to my ways. I want to bear my own image. And so I'm going to take this authority you've given me, this dominion that you've given me over creation, and instead of leading creation to the good that God intended, we're going to abuse creation for our own purposes. And so just read the rest of Genesis, and it is the story of mankind abusing creation and one another makes sense theologically that as we look at our world and humanity all around us, we see so much abuse of power. And God has promised justice for this. He will not allow his creation, his people, his, his, uh, uh, all of humanity to abuse creation forever. And the question is, what will God do about this? How will God make this right? And we find that answer in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, as we continue in our Advent series together this morning. So let me read it, Isaiah 11, 1 to 10, then we'll take it apart figure out how that brings encouragement to us today. Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 10 says this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. If you've been with us the last few weeks, that might make sense to you. If you have no idea what that means, we'll get there. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Okay, so we know from verse two that this shoot is a person. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. 
And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This vision that we get of a kingdom. But let me set the stage for you. Let's go back to Isaiah 10 just for a second, because in Isaiah 10, we get this vision of God's judgment against the world. And literally, the vision is, if, if there's this big forest and, and the people of the earth are all the trees of the forest. The vision is God going through and just lopping trees down, just raising the forest. It's dead, it's gone, just lopping them down. So I want you to picture in your head being in a forest where everything's just been knocked over. It's dark, just feels like death. And so in that image, in that scripture, right, we get Isaiah 11, verse 1, come right into that. And it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. So, okay, imagine you're in this forest. Everything's been knocked over. It's dark, but there's this stump, and out of that stump is coming one little shoot with a little green leaf on it. There's still life in the forest. Now, when we think about the stump, the stump of Jesse, we've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks. What, what's going on here is, is God in his prophecy, in this encouragement to the nation of Israel saying, hey, remember my covenant with King David, the Davidic covenant. God made a promise to David. He said, listen, in you, one of your offspring, David, one of the people in your line, I'm going to establish as my king forever. He will sit on your throne and his kingdom will have no end meaning he, he's not gonna die and a new king's gonna come into his place. His term's not gonna come to an end and we'll elect a new one. No, his kingdom will be in place forever and he will be a good king. So when it says stump of Jesse, Jesse is King David's father. And so this is God's way of saying the hope in the midst of all this judgment, the hope in the midst of the world abusing their power and sinning against me is there's a shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse. I'm going to raise up a king. And this king will be a good king. See, Isaiah 11, 1 to 10 is foreshadowing what it will be like when this king is sitting on his throne, ruling over the world. 
It's a foreshadow of when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, his political kingdom. And what I mean by political is he's actually going to rule over the world. And we will live under his leadership for eternity. And Isaiah 11, 1 to 10 is showing us how he will lead when we live in his kingdom for all of eternity. This is what it's going to be like, is Isaiah 11, 1 to 10. So I want us to just, let's work through it real quick. I want us to get the picture, the vision of what it will be like under the rule of King Jesus for eternity. So I want you to imagine three things with me as we work through the text, three things of what it will be like to be under his leadership. And so here's, I'm going to give it to you right now. It's this. He will lead according to the truth. He will lead with goodness and he will lead us into gentleness. And I picked all three of those words very intentionally. Let's go see where it is in the text. So number one is this, he will lead us according to the truth. Right, verses two and three, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This king will be God himself, and he will rule with God's word, God's counsel, God's wisdom, God's knowledge, God's might. If you jump down to verse 4, the last part of it, it says this, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. His word will be how he leads. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of all of God's truth, I'm sorry, the sum of all of God's word is truth. He will lead according to the truth. You know, if you're gonna abuse power, you always have to bend the truth. Right, there, there was a reason why my coach that day when he knocked on the door and my English teacher said, hey, why do you need Alan right now? There's a reason why he didn't tell him the truth. Because in that moment, the truth would not be his friend. He wasn't gonna say to my English teacher, well, I need him to help me move a hot tub to my backyard. That's, he wasn't gonna do that. Because if you're gonna abuse your power, You always need to bend the truth. This is why pastors who abuse their power are going to bend the truth of God's word in order to do it, right? They're going to say things like, oh, you know, give, 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 and God will make you rich. They're going to bend the truth of God in order to manipulate their people, abuse their power for whatever end or agenda they have. And what we see here is that God will lead us according to the truth. Nobody's going to deceive God, and he will never deceive us. All right, so according to the truth. Number two, he is going to lead us with goodness. Goodness. Look at verse three, the last half. It says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Go to verse five. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And what this means is that every decision God makes as he leads, 
every way in which he leads, it's always for the good of those under his leadership. It's always righteous. There's no ulterior motive. There's no hidden agenda. There's no sneaking around and pretending something's good when it's not. God is always acting for the joy and the flourishing of his people, and God always does what is just, verse 4 tells us as well. Every decision he makes will be for our good. Okay, so he's going to lead according to the truth, with goodness, and last thing here, into gentleness. I picked that word very intentionally. Verses 6 to 9, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. Verse 8, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. I use this word gentleness because... When I think of gentleness, I think of someone who has power and they direct that power towards the care of someone else. When someone has power and they direct that power towards the care of someone else. What I find interesting about this text, verses six to nine, it doesn't say God will strip the cobra of his venom. It doesn't say God will strip the lion of his strength and his teeth and his claws. What you have is these couplings of powerful creatures to less powerful creatures, right? But God's not stripping them of their power, but God's transforming creation. He's making something new. He's going back to Genesis 1 and 2 where his creation flourishes. It, it lives in harmony together under the leadership of God's creation of humanity who leads on his behalf. It's a fundamental transformation of creation to gentleness, using our power for the care of others. So what we get here in Isaiah 11 is God's going to lead in the future, in his kingdom, according to the truth, with goodness, into gentleness. Church, this is our future. The deception, the hypocrisy, selfishness, it all has an expiration date. But the obvious question is this Where is the king? In the meantime, I mean, yes, that's great. Praise God, man, that's a great vision for the future. When Jesus returns and establishes kingdom and we're there, man, praise God, amen for that. But in the meantime, between now and then, where's the king? What do we do? How is that good news for us today? And friends, this right here is the scandal of Advent. The scandal of Advent. There's a reason why Israel had such a hard time accepting Jesus of Nazareth 
as the promised Messiah that the scripture spoke of, like here in Isaiah 11. Maybe it's the same reason why we have a hard time seeing him as king. Because their expectation, when they read Isaiah 11 and other texts, their expectation is that this king would come and he would conquer. He would come with great power and he would take the world by force and establish this kingdom by force. And so when Jesus shows up as a little baby to poor parents in a place that no one expected him, you could understand why Israel had a hard time to say, wait, Jesus of Nazareth? He's the king? He's the good king that's gonna lead us according to the truth with goodness and to gentleness and all these things? Jesus didn't come as they expected. But that is what is happening. Jesus did come and he began the work establishing this kingdom. It's not what Israel thought it was gonna look like and quite often I don't think it's what we think it was gonna look like. But he began to establish his kingdom. So in the midst of the raised forest, right? All the trees been lopped down. There's a stump. And Israel missed the shoot. The little shoot with the little leaf. They were looking for a big oak, but they missed the shoot. And here's what Jesus is doing as he begins to build his kingdom. Is he's not going to build his kingdom by force. But he begins building his kingdom through what? Gathering his people. Forgiving people of their sins. Saving people from their brokenness. Transforming people's hearts from the inside out. Gathering his people. Building his church. See, in the first advent of Jesus, Jesus begins to build his kingdom and his church. And in the second advent of Jesus, when he returns, that will be the time for his judgment, where he'll get rid of all the sin and abuse of power in the world. And he will build up his people and establish his political reign that will last forever. And we will live within Isaiah 11, 1 to 10 for eternity. But today, Jesus is beginning the process and continuing the process of building his kingdom. So here's what this means for, for you and me today. As we live between the advents, is that if you follow Jesus, then Jesus is your king. Let me, let me say that again. It's simple. But it is profound. If you follow Jesus, he is your king. And he will lead you. You. He will lead you in every way that we read about here in Isaiah 11, 1 to 10. For you and in your heart, Isaiah 11, 1 to 10 can become a reality as Jesus builds his kingdom. See, the temptation for us, right, is we read that and we say, yes, amen, I can't wait for that. That is a good thing. But it's hard for me to be led by this good king until everybody's led by that good king. Until the whole world begins to recognize that good king. It's hard for me to be led by that good king. 
See, for you as a follower of Jesus, because of what he accomplished in his first advent, he is your king, your king, and he will become king of the world at his second advent. But our temptation is in the meantime, as we wait for that, to put our hope in other kings. Go read 1 Samuel 8. People of Israel went to their judge, Samuel, and said, hey, Samuel, man, we want a king. A king who will defend us against the nations, a king who will consolidate power, a king who will make everyone live the way that they ought to live. We want a king, Samuel. And Samuel goes to God, and God says, listen, Samuel, grant their request. Raise a king up for them. Because listen, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And he goes, but Samuel, here's what I want you to do. Before you raise up a king for them, I want you to tell them exactly what will happen if they put their hope in a worldly king, even if it's a king of Israel. That's what Samuel did. First Samuel chapter eight, verses 10 to 18. Not gonna be on the screen behind you, but I'm just gonna read this for you. Maybe not all of it, but just listen. This is God's warning through Samuel to the people of Israel. This is what will happen if you put your hope in a worldly king. It says, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards, olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain. And it goes on. He will take this. He will take that. He will take this. He will abuse his power. temptation is to put our hope in a worldly king. And our hope's not in the next president. It's not in a political party. It's not in policies. It's not in the Supreme Court. And whatever they decide, there are meaningful ways to engage in all of those things, but they are not our hope. We have a king. And we live in times where I feel like I see a lot of Christians panicking because of where the culture is going or where this is going or this is happening, but we have a king and he leads us and there will be a day he will eliminate evil from the world and he will lead the world. But for today, he's our king between the advents. And here is how our king today, not in the future, but today, here's how he will lead us, how he will lead you. He will lead you according to the truth, with goodness, into gentleness. Let's run through those again. God will lead you and me, us together as his church, according to the truth. God has given us his word. God will not lead us inconsistently. He will not change his mind. He will not bend the truth because of certain things that are going on in the world. He will not be surprised by any event that comes down through history. 
And he will always lead us according to his word. And that leads us to the next thing. He will lead us with goodness. In other words, all of God's commands to us, all of his word to us, everything God does is for your good and for your flourishing. We don't always like the things God says. It's okay. We don't always like the truth that God leads us with. There are times where we want to do things and God says, it's not good for you. And there are things we don't want to do. And God says, that's good for you. And we go, I don't, God, I don't, I don't, that's uncomfortable. That's inconvenient. I would lead my life differently if I were in control. And God says, no, 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 hold on. I'm leading you because I know what is best for you. So God leads us according to his truth with goodness, meaning that we know, even if we don't understand or agree, we know that God is leading us into joy and flourishing. Like, God, I don't understand why I'm in the life stage I'm in today. You know, I don't understand why I'm still single, but I trust that you are leading me with goodness. I don't understand why my marriage is the way it is today, but I trust you're leading me with goodness. I don't understand why I'm having to deal with this grief and this heartache and suffering, but I trust I have a king who is good. You know, a lot of people, when I talk to non-believers, and there's always this big question, what does it actually mean to convert to Christianity, right? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And we've really oversimplified this a bit, but, but what it means to follow Jesus, right, is to trust in the work that Christ has done to forgive us of our sins and bring us into his family and then to make him Lord, to make him king of our lives. For us to say, God, I trust you to lead according to the truth and with goodness. It's not an option for us as followers of Jesus to say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you according to the truth that I think is true or I think is good. No, there's an inherent humbling and submission and coming under the good care of God and saying, God, no, I trust you even when I don't understand that I'm going to follow you because you know why, God? You're Lord, you're king, and I'm not, and I'm giving you that place in my life. Is Jesus Lord of your life, King of your life? Do you trust that his word is good even when you don't see it that way? Because he leads us as his people according to the truth with goodness and lastly into gentleness. With Jesus as King, he begins to transform our hearts into this heart that wants to take all of our life and our ability and our resources and our skills and our power and our strength for the flourishing of his people and for the good of others. It's going to transform the lenses over our eyes as we see our neighbors and our coworkers and the most vulnerable in our city and one another as followers of Jesus. And he's going to say, I want to use the things that God has given me for their good, for their flourishing, not just for myself. 
to begin to transform creation, starting with his people. As I was writing this this week, there's a video making the rounds on social media that I saw, and as I watched it, I just go, you know, that right there, 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 there is a gentle heart of a woman who is under the lordship of Jesus. I wanna show this to you in a second. It's the, the video is the daughter of a slain police officer. His name was Richard Houston, the Mesquite Police Department. You may have seen this. But he was, I believe he was shot um, and killed on Friday. And so this video is of the funeral and his daughter giving uh, a eulogy. And it's just, I'm only gonna play you a small snippet of it, but I, I want you to see this. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live, but when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father, not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. I think this is a woman who's longing for the reign of a good king and also someone who's given her heart to that good king today. And he has done a work in her. He has given her a gentle heart. Jesus being Lord and having a gentle heart doesn't mean we don't grieve or get angry or long for justice but it means that we see the creation and the other people around us differently. Family, as we live this life, we have two choices. We can live in bitterness and anger at all of the junk in the world and the abuse of power around us. Or we can invite the peace that surpasses understanding that comes when we let Jesus be king today. Because he will lead you according to the truth and he won't lead you astray. With goodness, even when you don't understand. And he will give you a gentle heart 
that will impact the people around you in ways that you could never imagine. If you're here today and, and you don't follow Jesus or trust in him or you're just not sure, you're just exploring, I want you to know that he is going to return one day and he's going to rule and he will be a good king, the kind I think you long for as well. And he can be your king today. And part of that longing can begin to come true today as well. So my question for us as we end our time and we sing together is Jesus your king this morning? Let's pray. Father, I don't wanna even begin to pretend that I understand where every person is at in this room, the experiences that they've had in their life in this broken world, the hurts that they've endured, the injustice, or maybe even the hurt and injustice they've inflicted on others. But God, I pray that for everyone in this room today, including myself, that you would build in us this hope for your kingdom. Well, every wrong will be made right. Justice will be accomplished. And we will live in a kingdom, in a world that you intended for all of eternity. But God, I pray that you'd begin to grow that in our hearts today, that, that we would all, as a result of being under your word today, as a result of your spirit being in this room and ministering to people individually, God, I pray that each of us would walk away this morning having given more of our heart to your lordship, giving more of our heart to trust you and your ways. And that, God, you would begin to grow a gentleness in us that would display your kingdom to the world. We love you, Jesus. Amen.